0: Well, um, I want to um, kind of give a brief intro and then uh, hand over to John and Fran. Um, so really, the, 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 let me give a kind of a vision for why we uh, are launching into Dinner and in Theology. Um, really, the heartbeat behind it comes from this desire to really create channels and create space for you to think on, in specific veins. Um, and so really, like in the area of parenting, last last time in the area of sexuality, homosexuality, um, and other areas. Next month, we're going to do he- the idea of heaven. And really just to kind of put some topics in front of us that forces us to really think through and kind of um, think through, hey, what what does God even have to say about this kind of stuff? Um, uh, when the Lord kind of gave me this vision, he put this verse before me um, in 1 Timothy um, at the beginning, it talks about how people will turn from the, the truths they've been taught. Um, and then in, in verse 7, it says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, irre- irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. Um, that godliness isn't this thing that we just like stumble upon. It's like, oh, like, I wake up and I'm more like Christ. Like That it's actually something we have to discipline and work towards. Um, and there's a, a lot of silly myths out there regarding how we handle kids. <laughs> Um, and, uh, and so you guys are going to clear all that up. I'm really really excited (laughs) about that. Um, so this is, uh, John and Fran, um, Ryan from the summit. And, um, a lot of you probably know, but some of you might not that they're really, in many ways, the reason why we're here as a church, why we exist as a church, um, years ago, uh, they poured into Rick and Jen and really sent them out from the summit to, to start North Church, and so um, we're excited to have them here and teach us all you know. Um, so,
1: so be quick, be <laughs> quick.
0: So, uh, let me pray for them, and uh, and then I'll let them take over whatever they want to do. So, thanks. Let's pray, um, God. We thank you so much for this evening. I thank you for John and Fran and um, the ministry you've given them um, to just be stewards of of your grace, and I uh, pray that you would just come over them with your spirit and that you would allow them to just share their journey, the journey they're, they're continuing on, um, in trying to just be faithful to pour you into the family you've given them. So would you lead them? Would you lead our time tonight? And might we, we know you more through this and uh, be able to teach our kids to know you more as well. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thanks for being here.
1: Yeah. So first thing is I think every once in a while, maybe a lot more than once in a while, God reminds us <clears throat> of things that, as we're getting ready to do something about how big of a deal it is, and so we were on the way out here, and I told Fran as we were driving, I said, why don't you pray while we're driving, and so, you know, it's one of those moments when God speaks through your wife in some kind of wicked um, but good way, and and one of the things that came out of her prayer, which I'm thankful that, that it got through her mouth to my ears because I needed to hear it, even if, uh, you know, God didn't necessarily need that to be our prayer, was that um, there's a lot of you in a lot of different places right now as parents and also coming from a lot of different places with your parents. And so you walk into this room with a lot of stuff. and, And if there was just one couple in this room, I couldn't imagine the story out of that couple. But because there's more than one, there's a lot of stories in this room. And so we want you to hear this first, that that we we absolutely um, believe that everything that God does in the middle of your lives as parents is about his grace and very little about your knowledge. Um, you can be a smarter parent, but it doesn't mean you're going to be a better parent um, and whatever that means better. Um, and so there are a lot of smart parents out there that are really bad parents. And there are a lot of parents that know a lot about Raising kids and helping them become whatever they're supposed to be as they grow up, but they're just not uh, godly parents, and what you would see, you know, what we hope would see later on. And so we, we want you to hear that, that that really everything we want to communicate to to you tonight is that this is a this is an incredibly um, humble place for us to sit because we're not great parents. I mean, we're just not. We have we think we have great kids, but that has nothing to do with being great parents, you know. And so I think everyone that's has kids in this room hopefully that's all of you would say that we have great kids but most of you would also say we're not great parents and so that's probably going to be the rest of your life is that you're going to say man we have great kids but eh, we weren't great parents and so I I say that not as some kind of self-deprecating statement to start but just to say that the rest of your life you're either going to be really depressed about your parenting skills or really prideful and both of those extremes are horrible because um, God doesn't want you to live in the depression of, of the things you can't do any better than he wants you to live in the pride of what you can't do because the reality of what you do with your kids is really more about him than you. And so let's just begin there tonight. And, and things that you hear, I pray they don't heap guilt on you for things you haven't done or I hope they don't open up ginormous wounds for things that your parents didn't do. And you're sitting at the table all night thinking, wish my parents would have done you know. And so it's, it's, there's all sorts of places you can run to real quick as we start into this. And so um, I want to pray for us just that you would hear that God's voice tonight. And, and just want to say that real quick to God. So, God, we pray that you would you'd cover your grace over us as we hear stuff that's going to bring some weirdness in our brains and our thoughts. And we pray that at the end of the day that you would um, be honored and be made much of as we talk. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So we're going to share a little bit and then let you guys talk about a few things around the table. And then we'll, we'll kind of bring it back and forth so that you guys can dialogue and discuss a few things, hopefully. And so here's the first question as we get started tonight and that that is this if, if if you were to if I was to force you for 2 seconds to think about what is your end goal as a parent like you had to like write down on a piece of paper this is my this is my end goal and maybe there's a better phrase for you because that sounds just way too like business like than then what would be your primary purpose as a mom, or whatever, whatever the better way to say that is? What's your end goal? What are you trying to accomplish? Like at the end of the day, if you could sit back, at you know your kids are out of your house now, and you were to say, "This is what we hope to accomplish," and and that's what we that's what we spend our life trying to do with our kids. What would that be? What would you say that is? Because I think it's it's very. <clears throat> meaningful for most of us when we're involved in something that's absorbing the grand majority of our life to know why we're doing it and so in case you don't realize this the grand majority of your life is going to be absorbed in being a parent right now if you're a parent and so it's probably good that you have some kind of idea of why you're doing it because most of all of us became parents um probably with some kind of hopeful thought out there and not just some kind of like like where a lot of parents end up you know just bitter and frustrated you know, and so you end up sometimes as a parent just being bitter and frustrated and like feel like you're carrying around a big giant backpack. And that's not how usually, not always, but not how usually most of us got into it. You know, we see people on TV and we see their hopes and their dreams and we see single people a lot wanting to be married and have kids. Have you ever noticed that? And yet you're there and you're looking at a lot of those single people going, whoa, 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 slow down. <laughs> it's not where you want to go running into like you think it is. And yet, that's where everybody wants to be, right? All of your single friends, if you have any, they're all, like, looking at your life going, if I could get to where you are, I'd be happy. Do you realize that? Let me remind you of that. There are a lot of single people who live in North County that would kill to trade places with you. Literally. And so, that's not to make you feel guilty or bad. It's just saying, at some point in time, we all get into that with some kind of different dream over here about what that's going to mean for us, right? Right? And then we get into the middle of it, and your end goal becomes what? Surviving? Your end goal becomes, you know, not letting the parents, the kids parent you, but you actually being the parent. Um, Your end goal becomes, you know, some kind of, I want to help her be some kind of contributing member of society and not just that person that everybody talks about, you know? Like, we've all got uncle, whoever it is, you know? We don't want our kid to be that guy, right? And that's our goal. That's our end goal is, I just don't want my kid to grow up and be uncle Right, and so we all have different end goals, and I just want to ask you tonight, what's yours? And maybe tonight, God would either remind, refresh, or maybe give you something that, if you walk away with tonight as an end goal, it would help. It may help you together, if you're a single parent, or if there's two of you, help you together um, see what God has out in front of you in a little better, clearer way. And so, I want to read this passage to you. Then we're going to jump into two things there's so many things we could talk about tonight, but as we prayed and talked, there were two things that were kind of big to both of us, and they kind of fit under this umbrella of this in goal thought. this is from Romans eight beginning in verse eighteen so if you have a Bible, you can go there with me Romans eight eighteen <clears throat> God's talking about kind of the whole redemption story here the whole this whole idea that that there was a way things were created to be, and then they got broke right and when we say broke we're not just talking about Like a little breakage, like a lot of breakage. And not because um, they weren't built well, but because our sin broke it. And and so there's this beautiful creation, it gets broke, and then Christ comes and redeems, but that's not the end of it. There's actually this restoration where things are going to be made the way they were intended to be. And so this is what Romans 8, beginning in verse 18, is talking about. He says, "...for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us." And this idea of glory there is that the returning and restoring of things as they were intended to be. and So he's saying there's this suffering, there's this struggle that's going on right now. But Paul's saying, I, I hope that what God's telling me is true, that what he's going to turn this out to be, what he's going to make this out to be, is, is the way it was supposed to be. And so he gets real practical with some examples here. He says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. And he's talking about trees and everything that we see out there today was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And, and I don't know if you've thought about this lately, but <clears throat> what's about to happen to all those trees out there is they turn really pretty colors. Right after that, they all kind of look dead. That was never intended to be that way. In God's creation, there's not supposed to be dead anything, even dormant anything. And I believe, I don't know what this means, maybe when we step into heaven, all the trees are going to look like fall all the time. Who knows? I don't know. I I hope we have some trees that are colorful. They're not just all green. That would be, but I'm I'm trusting God that he's got a plan and it's going to be better than whatever mine is, right? But I know this, they're not going to be dead trees in heaven. There's not going to be dead grass. You're not going to have to water grass. We're probably, Hopefully we're not going to have to mow grass, but maybe we do. I don't know. But the, the whole of what we see in the fall is a picture of kind of the fall of this world, right? That things die, but then what happens in spring? Things come back to life, and we're reminded even in creation that... There's something out there going on that's going to one day make things like they were intended to be. And so he says even creation itself is in this bondage of decay and corruption. And one day it's going to be set free from that and it's going to look like it was intended to look like. Does that make sense? And so there's this glory, <clears throat> this perfect, overwhelming greatness of what God has created that it's going to be. And then he's not stopping there. He's going to talk about us. He says, for we know that this whole creation has been groaning. Pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves. And so I I would ask you tonight, is there something inside of you that that every once in a while you recognize that this isn't the way it was supposed to be? And it happens when we have to do a funeral. This isn't the way it was supposed to be. It happens when we have to say goodbye to people, right? Not just death, but when somebody moves. And we're like, this isn't the way this was supposed to be. There's something inside you that's just like, this is not right. The whole goodbye thing, think about this, that's not going to happen in heaven. You're never going to say goodbye again. And how cool will that be? Um... You're never going to have to cry, the scripture says again. Uh, that's just a weird thought, you know. Um, some of you don't like crying. You do everything you can to avoid crying, but it still happens. And, and there's that thing inside you that says this isn't good. I don't know. I think some tears are good, but, but you'll never have to do that again because of sadness. Maybe because of joy, but not because of sadness. Um, and God says there's even this longing inside of us because things aren't the way they're supposed to be. Because we have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions of the Son, the redemption of our bodies. For in this we hope. In this hope we were saved. And now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes in what he sees? And if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We'll come back to that verse in a little bit and skip over to verse 29. For those who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the first born among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And he says this, hey, there's been a plan since the beginning of time and God knew what that plan was. And the plan was this, that he was going to save you and not just redeem you and bring you back to him, but he was going to return you and restore you into that which you were originally intended to be. So that your love and the way we love one another would be perfect the way God intended it to be. Your your ability to communicate mercy would be perfect the way God intended it to be. Your ability to, to be kind, your ability to be strong, your ability to be powerful. All the things God intended us to be would be the way God intended them to be. And that's what it means to be glorified. There's this saving moment. There's a redeeming moment. There's a sanctifying moment. And then he says this, all of that leads up to this glorification. When you and I are returned to the way we were intended to be. Everything that's going on now, though, feels like What? There's this, he says, there's this thing inside of us that says, uh, this isn't right. We're not not there. And so let me give you this idea, then we're going to give you two practical applications of this. What if your end goal for parenting became this, you participating with God and restoring the lost glory that's in your children? What if your end goal became participating with God and restoring the lost glory that's in your children? And so... <clears throat> Two thoughts immediately. One, you can do nothing about that. Because when you start talking about restoring the lost glory in your children, that's a God thing, right? I mean I'm just trying to teach them how to tie their shoes. You know, some of us are thinking or brush their teeth, and I've got a 15-year-old, I'm still wondering if he knows how to brush his teeth. And and so, you know, there's things that you wonder, you know, are they much less glory, right? We're thinking, really he's gonna look like God, and I get to participate in that. And so here's the good news. The end goal could be something so great and so big that that really you have no way and your own ability and a power to even affect it. you really can 't lose, but the end goal is so big and so magnificent that God would invite us into that, then it becomes something worth participating in. Does that make sense? And so you can look at it two ways like i i, I, I don 't know how to even begin to think about what you 're talking about, or you can go, that sounds like a really big deal. That's what I want to give my life to with my kids. And I'm not saying that's going to be what's on your brain when you're washing socks or cleaning throw up. It may not be your kid's throw up, it might be her throw up, you know, whoever. I mean, that doesn't necessarily help you get through the immediacy of the, of the urgent moment. But if you can remind each other of this, like, hey, the reason we're going through this together with him is because God's doing something glorious in our son, he's redeeming him. But we also believe he's restoring him and that one day when we stand in heaven, somehow or another, we're going to be able to say we participated with God in that. Had really nothing to do with it, but we participated with God in that. Does that make sense? And so that being an end goal, here's here's what I would say to you, that this end goal of parenting then is participating with God in the gospel. That's a word you guys, I know, use around here a lot, but we mean just the finished work of Christ and what he's done on the cross to participate with God in this restoring of lost glory. So through the gospel, we get to participate with God in our kids' lives to restore lost glory in them. And so let's get practical with two things, and we're going to throw an idea out at you and then let you discuss some stuff. So I'm going I'm to let Fran start as we talk, because we talked about what are the, there's so many things we could talk about in there and parenting kids and helping them in the gospel restore lost glory. We thought of two things, and here's the first one.
2: Yeah, when John asked me to think about if I could share the biggest thing about parenting and just... For you to know, we have two boys. Um, our oldest is 18, and he just left in the fall to go to college, and he's in Texas. And I got to see him in September. Um, John hasn't seen him since August, and um, we are going to go in a couple weeks and go visit him. Um, and then our 15-year-old is at home, and so so our perspective is is two boys, and been a lot of fun. Um, So when he was asking me what I thought about, um, I think the thing that I wish I had understood when they were younger um, is to really learn how to embrace their sinfulness. And so as we talked through that, it looks like in the gospel, when you believe what the gospel says, it believes that our kids are sinful. We all believe that we are born in sin. And so if they are full of sin, if they are sinful, then that means they're going to sin. And it sounds really simple, it sounds kind of silly to say, and yet so many times we have toddlers that are playing and they push another kid down and we go, why did you do that? And we're shocked and and we're disappointed in them that they would grab a toy and say, no, that's mine. We'll teach your child how to say mine. And, and and when they act in a sinful way, all of a sudden we're just we're shocked and, and we're dismayed. And we taught you better. You're not supposed to do that. And so when we really believe the truth of the gospel, then we see that we are sinful. We are sinful. Our kids are sinful. And therefore, they're going to sin. And so when we believe that, we're not shocked. Um, we're not defensive. And I know as you start watching kids grow... You see parents defending their kids on outrageous things. I mean, you listen to some of the, the stories that come from schools and that teachers have to deal with the way kids act in classrooms, and they're trying to maintain order, and the parents, oh, well, not my child. My child would never do that. And instead of embracing this, their mistakes and teaching them through it, they defer it to somebody else. They blame somebody else. Um, and so we don't have to get defensive. We don't have to call it, oh, well, that was just a mistake. We really can call sin, sin, and it is sin. It's not just a mistake, and we'll talk a little bit more about why that's important to see the difference, um, and we don't have to hide their sin or hide from their sin when we when we know that they're sinful, and just, a, you know... A, at the younger level, at toddler level, you know, some of their sin is cute, you know, and it's just, it's what happens. And, you know, they take a toy and, you know, those little things, they steal cookies when you're not looking. And, and so you just kind of laugh it off. But as they get older, their sin becomes a little more serious and it becomes, it affects more people and, and it, it it affects a profounder uh, and more profound ways. Um, And so the story that That I thought of that, it's one of the few times that it was very obvious that God was intervening in my life in regards to embracing my kids' sinfulness. Is at church, a lady, well meaning, came to me and said, Oh, have you figured out what happened with your son and these girls? And I said, I didn't know there was anything going on between my son and those girls. And oh, oh, I shouldn't have told you. Oh, and well, at that point, you can't just let go. You, you want to know, what's, what, what did my son do? And anyway, my son said very, very, very inappropriate things about a girl and her sexuality and her body and in front of a whole group of other kids. And, and I think in my flesh, I would have been mortified. And I would have been embarrassed and I would have just, but for whatever reason, God allowed me to embrace my son's sinfulness and say, thank you so much for telling me because I can't shepherd his heart if I don't know what's going on with his heart. And yes, he is a 16 year old boy. And I understand that 16 year old boys talk like that, but it doesn't make it okay. And I'm really sorry he said that, and and I appreciate you letting me know. And and I meant it. I really meant it. I wasn't embarrassed. I wasn't ashamed of him. I wasn't mortified that the pastor's son said things that were inappropriate about a girl. And it, because he's a sinful boy, and he's a sinful man, and I'm sinful. And, and it just allowed me to have conversations that were... Uplifting with him and not condemning. I didn't. I didn't want to rush home and just beat him on the side of the head, going, "What were you thinking? Do you know how that makes us look?" You know, it, none of that happened, and and that was the grace of God. But it's all. It's all part of that gospel piece of when we know they're sinful, then we're we're not shocked by their sin, and then we can we can embrace their sinfulness and help them see how much they need Jesus. Uh,
1: well, I. I guess what I'd like for you guys to do for a second is just think about two questions. One is this, what, why is it so hard, and, and you may have to project ahead if you have little, little, little ones, but why is it so hard, and, and you can talk about other parents for a moment if you want, but then make it personal. Why is it going to be hard for you, future tense, or why is it hard for you right now to, to really hear from other people about something your kid is? Or has done. I mean, why will why that be hard for us? Why is it so hard for parents? Why is it so hard for for us to hear that? What What's going on in us? What's going to go on in you? Is it embarrassment? I'd love for you to talk about this. Now. Is it because we get embarrassed? Is it because we don't want to look bad? Is it because we want our kids to be part? Per- what, what is going on there that allows us to get defenses? That allows us to get um, angry at our kids? Yet, when we do the same kind of sin, what we want is what? Whole lot of mercy, right? We want understanding. Like when I sin against her, I'm like, "Please have understanding here, you know? Come on." And yet, when our kids do, we just were like, "You're a freaking idiot," you know. And we want to just get angry with them. And so, my, I guess my question I'd love for you guys to discuss for a second is, why is it so hard for us to hear that that they've done something that is that is inappropriate or wrong or sinful, however you want to put words on it? And so. That's the first question I want you to just discuss for a second, and then I'll throw another question to you in a minute. So just spend a few minutes, and we've got two tables. Y'all can talk there and talk loud and just go for a second. So let's talk out loud for a second. Um, what We talked about these things, like if we really believe one of the things the gospel tells us that we're sinful or full of sin, Right? We don't just commit acts of sin, but we actually have a heart that's sinful. And so if that's true, what else does that help us believe about our kids um, when, when they sin? What else, other thoughts, anything else that helps you, helps you see about who they are? Um, we don't have to get defensive when they do this, right? Some of them don't we'll have to hide their sin, don't we'll have to sweep it away, right? Because we realize well, this is it's what they're going to do. They're, they're sinners, they're going to sin, right? But is there any other thoughts there? Like, if, if I believe they're sinful, it also means what? think any other thoughts? may ask that question another way and put, put the end piece on it. Like the gospel says our kids are sinful, but it also says in Christ that that's, that's not all of who we are. Right. And so what does the gospel, even though your kid's sinful, what does it say about your kid and his sin? Let's, let's encourage one another in the truth of Christ for a second. What is, what does the finished work of Christ say about your sinful kid, even though he's sinned? And let's say that he likes to lie. You know, which every kid does, right? And have you ever noticed this? This is proof of the depravity of, of every human being. If you need a theological moment here, you don't have to teach your kids how to lie. What you're doing the rest of your life is teaching them how to tell the truth, right? And so you don't teach a two-year-old how to lie. but From the time they're two, they, they start learning to lie. And they don't even have to be taught that or modeled that. You could be a complete truth-teller in front of your kids, and they will burst out a lie the first time they get caught doing something. That's theology 101 about the depravity of the soul, right? And a little kid. He's a liar, but what does the gospel say about who he is in Christ? Help each other for a second. Right, so that's not his identity, right? And this is a huge thing for us to remember. In the gospel, we believe that our kids are sinful, so they're going to sin. But you also need to believe the other side of that. That's not their identity. And some of you grew up with an identity that wasn't in Christ, right? You grew up being told you're, you're useless or you're stupid or you're... You know, you're an athlete, which as great as that is, that's not your identity. That's not who you are in Christ. Or you're pretty. You don't want to hear one of the biggest, I think, defaming things you can throw in a little girl, like her whole life, is just tell her she's pretty. Now, I'm not saying you don't need to do that, but if that's her whole identity, what do you think she's going to grow up valuing above everything else? And what do you think she's going to be scared to death of? Not being pretty one day. And so... Think about it, let's, anything else, anything else from, a, from a, what the gospel says about our kids that, that you can think of when you think of as a sinner, maybe, man, maybe, yes, you're going, man, it drives me crazy that he lies. But that's not his identity. It's also not your identity, right? You didn't raise a liar. You ever thought about that? Like, you need to remind yourself of this. I did not raise a liar. He was born that way. Now, you can make him a better liar right? We can teach our kids how to lie really well. You can perfect their lying. You can give them a master's degree in lying, but you didn't make them a liar. And so it's not your identity either, right? Anything else? Any, any other thing you want to, just, we just need to speak over one another for a minute about what the gospel says about our, who we are in Christ as opposed to what sin says we are. Any other thoughts? Yeah. So if we're loved in Christ, no matter what we do, then that's one of those things that we need to speak to our kids in the middle of their sin, right? Which like, here's a short sighted moment for you. You may not always think I'm restoring lost glory, but if you can speak into your kid in the middle of discipline, they're loved, you're, you're speaking the finished work of Christ into that kid's life. Because that's what the Holy Spirit speaks over us, right? In the middle of our sin loved, even though we feel like what we're unlovely at that moment, right? And so one of the things the Holy Spirit speaks to us in the middle of our sin is you're loved, even though this was awful, right? And so when we're looking at our kids saying, that was awful, somehow we've got to communicate to them, you're loved. And I don't know how we do that real well, but that's a, in the presence of the moment thing. That needs to pervade your thoughts for your kids and the discipline and all that. And if you can't, you're going to, but that's something to come back and apologize for, right? Um, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Um, I, my 18-year-old, all the time, is one of the things I talk to him about all the time. Did you feel loved through this moment? You know, and he's like, yeah. Well, why do you say that? because eh, I didn't love you so much through that moment. And I'm just going to be honest with you. There wasn't a whole lot of love going on there, not even a little bit of like, you know. <laughs> and he's like, wow. I was like, yeah, I felt loved. I was like, cool. That's God, not me. Good good thing. Um, so it's good to ask later on. Even, you know, and again, appropriate ages for appropriate questions. But But it's good to ask your kids later on, like, hey, Dad didn't. You know, here, when this was going on, Dad wasn't really very loving, and that was just a whole lot of anger. And I was embarrassed because of the way you were acting and how I was looking in front of my friends, and I'm sorry. And that's a big deal. And The only reason you're ever going to say things like that is when you realize my identity is not what you think about me as a parent. And, I, and if I think my identity is in my kids' actions, and I don't believe that they're really sinful, then what? I'm constantly having to hide their actions from you. And how messed up they are and how jacked up they are and how perfect we are and how good our life is, right? And so if I really believe my identity is in Christ and who he says I am, then I'm okay with you seeing that my kids are really, you know, they're, they're not all that.
2: Well, it's, and it goes one step further. I'm okay with you seeing that my kids are sinful. And I'm okay with you seeing that I'm not a perfect parent. And, and so, and, and the more we embrace our identity in Christ... Which is sinful and not perfect. I think the better parents we become because we don't feel like we have to have all the right answers. We don't feel like we have to do it perfectly because we know that we can't. Because we know we're not going to, and then we know we can go back to them and say, "Man, I blew it here. I'm really sorry. I I, I lost I lost my my cool. I lost my my thoughts. I I totally was on you and I wasn't thinking about me and." And so um, we can go back to them and, and give them a picture of the gospel in that as well.
1: So here's the second piece of this, that if, that if we're going to participate with God in restoring the lost glory in our kids through the gospel, then there's a second piece that we thought of tonight, and it was just this idea that, that if our kids are sinful, then they need a Savior. And, and I guess the, the simplicity of that is this, is what does that mean, <laughs> that our kids need a Savior? What does that mean for their for their actions, for their sin? What does that mean for just things that are going on in their life? And let me give you two practical examples. One is if we look at our kids as just making a lot of mistakes, then really what they need is some coaching. They don't need a Savior, right? If we look at what our kids are doing and the and things that are going on as, as just mistakes, like my kid's just impatient. I just need to teach him how to be patient as opposed to going, no, my kid's really selfish and he wants his way all the time. He needs a savior. Does that make sense, the difference? Because if you write your kid's bad behavior off as just mistakes or he needs to be taught to act better and you don't see it as sin when it is sin, then we won't see the desperate need that our kid has for us as a savior. We'll really just see that what he needs is a better parent or a better coach or a better behavior modification expert and that you're not. Right? And so it's a huge deal in the gospel for me to realize, you know what? My kid needs a savior and he needs someone to redeem him, but also restore him. And so what are the things, I guess, here's, here's a good way to say it is one of the ways we interfere with their need for a savior is that we, we constantly save them. And so just a real practical thing for you is that as your kids start growing up and getting older, you need to let them feel the weight of their sin. Um, without, without minimizing it or calling it something it's not or stepping in and rescuing it. And I'll just ask this and let's just talk out loud. There's a small enough group here. What are, what are some of the ways that, that we interfere with our kids feeling the weight of their sin? What do you think? What are some of the, and those of you that are, have, are experts at this, speak out loud for the ones that have younger kids, but how, how do you get in the way of your kids feeling the weight of their sin? Yeah. yeah, Yeah. we don't step in, we always step in and we don't let our kids, you know, do things that where they're going to fail or sin, you know, if you never let, let and I'm not, this isn't a parenting one-on-one statement, but at some point in time, if you have a boy, he's going to have to date a girl, and if you never let him date the first time they do it, oh my God, are they going to sin, you know? Like we were just talking about with our 16-year-old. And yeah, I'm not saying usher them into dating at 10. I'm not saying that. I'm also saying you probably don't need to wait till 40 before you let them out of the closet and let them see a girl for the first time. Because they can sin in their mind without ever seeing a girl. I'm just telling you as a boy, it's possible, okay? Trust me on this one. Ask your husband later. Some of those things, like you're saying, is, is man, we so want to protect them from that, right? And I I guess what I'm saying is, think about what you're protecting them from. You're protecting them from their need for a Savior. Does that make sense? And so we think we're protecting them from hurts and pains, really what we're protecting them from. Let's go back to the first thing we believe about the gospel. I'm so sinful. I'm not just, I don't just do acts of sin, but I'm so sinful that I need a Savior. And when we protect them from the consequences of that, we're protecting them from seeing the need for a Savior. And who becomes Savior in their life? You do. And, and man. So let's go some more. What are some other ways we, we step in and don't let them feel the weight of their sin?
2: I think sometimes we're inconsistent with our consequences. Yeah. And, and so then they don't really know. Like sometimes we're really mad. And so we, we make them... Do whatever we we discipline them, and other times we're in a better mood, and we're like, "Oh, we just wipe, just wash this off." And and I think the inconsistency affects our kids because they don't know they don't see this, and then at that point,
1: one of the things we had to work really hard at was being on the same page with discipline because. God puts you together for whatever reason. That's all great and that's all wonderful. And you have good stories to tell. <laughs> Problem with some of that, if you're any whatsoever way opposites, is that you will also see. I heard somebody say this over there everybody parents different. <laughs> that's true, but I think God has a heart for us, which we're going to end on here in a minute. And the, that's even true within parents. Like my idea of discipline, like pulling their fingernails out for what they did with boys, hers idea may be a little bit different. Well, we're not going to pull their fingernails out. We're just going to do this. And it's even different for every kid, right? Because as your kids get older, you start to realize that what we did with Will isn't the same thing we need to do with Cade. Because Will's total extrovert. So when you set him in a corner, like in timeout when he was little, that was like you might as well pull his fingernails out because you were taking him away from human interaction. Whereas Cade, when you set him in the corner, it was like playland. He was like all by himself where he wanted to be. This is great, man. His can, own brain. His own brain. He's in his own little world of introvertedness, and he's just happy. Whereas you want to punish Cade, you said, you've got to go sit at that table with 20 adults and talk to him.
0: <laughs> no, don't me talk to adults.
1: You know, that was punishment to him. And so it's different even how you're going to do that. But we had to get on the same page, because what would happen at times is, one of us would be really offended by what had happened because she had been there all day watching it happen. And I would come home, and, and he's in a fairly good mood at this point, and I'm like, really? You want? And so if you're not on the same page at this, this is what happens. is somebody really wants, like, uh, corporal punishment to go down or, like, you know, death penalty kind of stuff to happen, and the other person's walking in there going, well, let's... And they become a negotiator, right? And if the kid, as the kid gets older, what do the kids start doing to you? And you guys know this that are young enough, you did this to your parents. Like, you figured out who the soft one was and went in there and started, like, worming in the, with the soft one, you know, especially if it was a girl with their dad. Like, really, mom's going to kill me if you don't intervene at this moment, you know? I may never give you grandchildren if you don't, don't help mom out at this moment. And so there's this negotiating that goes on and all this playing against each other. And you guys have got to be on the same page because part of letting them feel the weight of their sin is not only telling them what the consequences are going to be for things they do, but then carrying it through. And so if you're constantly threatening your kids with, one more time and I'm going to do this, but you never do that, they never get to feel the weight of their sin. They never get to see that there is actually, in God's bigger realm, you break God's law, he doesn't say one more time. You know, you break God's law and it's consequence, right? And so that's why Christ is so beautiful in that he took all of the consequence of our breaking of that law. But here on this earth, if they're going to see their need for a savior, they need to realize, you know, hey, when you break a law, there's consequences. And so that someday they can see, man, I break God's law and there's a consequence before God. Any other thoughts on that? Like how we intervene? Let me ask you this. Why do we want to intervene? Why do you think that's so much a part of parenting? We want to step in. Controlling part of it, right? What else? Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's hard in our world to to have this concept of that some kind of suffering can actually be good you know and so as parents we're like I don't ever want my kids to suffer unless they're going to learn to ride a bike then that's okay (laughs) Well, I really don't want my kids to suffer Uh, unless they're going to go to junior high then that's okay I mean think about how many things you set your kids up to suffer in that somehow you convince yourself this is probably a good thing you know, and riding a bike is one of the meanest things in the world. You know, I mean, we're like, we're like, we're go <laughs> knees running into concrete. We're like, so we don't want them to be that kid in seventh grade that can't ride a bike. Swimming, think about swimming. You throw them in the pool, and they're like, swim, and they're like, I'm going to drown. And we're like, that's intensely suffering to a little kid when, you, when you're teaching them how to swim, and they're, they're old enough to know, like, I'm going to go to the bottom like a rock. And you're like, you're okay, jump to daddy. And they're just crying, and you're like, come on. So we, we realize that there's limited amount of things that aren't pleasant to them that actually are good for them, right, as parents. And so let me just carry that one step further and say that even the most unpleasant things that they have to deal with because of their sin are things that God wants to use to drive them towards their need for a savior, towards Jesus. And when we step into those things, we constantly circumvent the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives, calling them to him and all sorts of reasons why we do it. Um, any other thoughts on that?
2: I think there's, uh, I read a book one time and, um, the phrase was natural consequences. And, and so there are, if you can look for what's the natural consequence of of whatever age they are. If they're if they're toddlers and they're playing with friends and they take a toy, you take the natural consequence is you don't get to play with this toy anymore because you can't share it, you know, and as they get older it's just constantly looking for what's the natural consequence. If you are on your phone and you're not going to bed when we tell you to, the natural consequence is we take your phone away and you don't get to have that. And and so those are some of the consequences, I think that, that are effective. I thought of, of another story um, that when Will was in middle school, I got a call from the principal that he cool. had bullied another kid, and I was a little surprised because he's really not a bully, and
1: he's not big enough to be a bully. He's <laughs> he,
2: that was, big. he was little. Um, and so he got home, and, and I thought, God, they've got to have the wrong guy or something, because um, he really was not a bully. So I asked him what happened, and, and so a kid had called him a name, and he called the kid the name back. He told the kid he was gay, and so that was sexual harassment and bullying, and the kid told his mom, and the mom called the school, and they brought him into the office. And, and we even knew the kid. Will had played basketball with him. I was like, Wow, I'm I'm surprised that that came off that way. But was it right for you to do it? And so I wanted just to excuse it because it was stupid. It was a stupid accusation. You're I, soft <laughs> was what the first
1: thing that came out of my mouth,
2: right? Like I'm thinking <laughs> Not to myself. Towards Will, but from, yeah, towards, towards, towards the other, other kind I'm thinking.
1: Oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? Because all of his <laughs> friends, when they hang out with each other, I don't know if you've been around boys lately, like in junior high, and the way they talk to each other, but I'm offended Like when I get around. Like, <laughs> like really? Because they just like, pick on each other and call each other names, right? And so what he said to this kid was really way down here on the bottom of the scale. When I heard it, I was like, oh, my
2: gosh. And then? And so the, natu- so the natural consequence was I asked him, I said, was this right for you to do? And he said, no. I said, is it ever good to call anybody a name? No so what do you think you should do about it? I guess I should apologize. And so I made him get on his bike and ride. We found out where the kid's house was because I wasn't going to take him over there. And I said, okay, this is how you need to get there. You need to ride your bike over there. You need to apologize to him and you need to apologize to his mom. And then you need to come home. No, don't make me do that. Don't make me do that. It's like, yeah you're gonna do it and and it was it was great and the mom bawled and said that all of her boys had been bullied and this was the first time they'd ever been apologized to and and so it just you know and it was a, a god glorifying moment um for that to happen but it was just again as you think through what's a natural consequence to what their behavior is and and those usually are the best teachable moments
1: yeah, like a lot of not good natural consequences are just yelling at them. I'm good at that. You know, it's you can't really hit your kids and get in trouble for that now. And so, I mean, I'm not talking spanking, but I'm talking hitting. And so you yell. That's like a guy's way of releasing that I want to punch you moment to a 10-year-old or whatever they are at the time. And, and, and so you just yell at them, you know, and, and that doesn't really, that's not appropriate consequence, I guess is what I want to say, is that, is that usually yelling and then our little one would always say, I don't like it when you use the mean voice, and, and what would I say back? You know what I say back to him? Well, if you would stop being an idiot, I wouldn't have to use the mean voice. (laughs) You don't pay attention to me when I use the kind voice. And so the mean voice comes out and you're like, you listen to me. It's all of a sudden you get a hearing addition that just works, you know, when I use the mean. Well, that's not appropriate consequence to his action is me yelling, right? And and all I'm telling you is that that I I realize that's a lot of our parenting method is just a yell. And that's the consequence is you did something stupid. I'm going to yell at you and i I'm, I'm just going to encourage you as, as parents to talk together about what's what's a more appropriate response to our three year old doing this or our four year old doing this or than me just yelling at them because there's probably a better one is what I'm saying to you and i'm and I'm telling you that as a person who's uh, perfected yelling at my kids and they fear me greatly, um, not anymore because they're as big as I am, but they used to they used to fear me um, so here here's the here's the the gospel piece of this of if they are broken and they need a savior then how do we parent our kids in such a way that we're actually allowing God to come alongside and work through us who are stewards of our kids as opposed to just trying to do behavior change for our kids and so let me give you practical of what that means like you're going to let's go back to the lying thing you're going to spend the rest of your life with kids that lie you just will um, your kids are going to lie, and they're going to get good at it, and it's going to drive you nuts. Every kid lies. Some kids get really good at it. Some, some get so good at it that you're not even sure they're lying. You know, and you're like, are you telling me the truth, or are you lying to me? And, and other kids in your family are just horrible liars, and you, know, and you know the moment they start opening their mouth, they're like, you're lying to me. And so you, you get both of those in between, right? And, and the question is, are you going to spend the rest of your life trying to just change their behavior so that they learn to tell the truth around you? But when they leave you, they go practice that lying with their friends and everybody else. Or are you really going to let God come in and make them a truth teller by changing their heart? Because the only thing that makes a liar a truth teller is when their heart gets changed. It's not because you beat into them. You need to tell the truth when you're in this house. Because honestly, that's how most of our parents parented us. We, these are the things we do in our house. And these are the things we don't do. And so you learned while you're inside these walls, you didn't do this, this and this, right? And so what, what is that? Is, did, did it really change who you were? No. All it did is it taught you that inside of here I don't do that because I don't want to suffer that consequence. Right? And so outside, as soon as I leave, that I can go be who I am. And so I guess my encouragement to you is if we really believe that God's calling us to, to join him through the gospel and restoring lost glory in our kids. And how do we help our kids be truth tellers? Let's just use this as an example as opposed to just helping our kids learn how to tell the truth when they're around us. Or when they're at school or when they're interviewing for a job, right? Because they sit down in a job interview and, man, all of a sudden, all the best things you've ever tried to teach your kids come flying out. And then they have to start working with those people, right? Any of you hire people, you know what I'm talking about. Like, that was such a good interview. Why are they such a tool now that I've hired them? And people learn how to tell you what they want you to hear, right? When they're sitting there. And so I guess my question to you is how how do we begin to join God in this so that we're not just um, beating on behavior change. Behavior modification is a good word as opposed to real heart change. And so let's let's talk about that for a second. How, how do you even begin praying? What do you think? Let's just talk out loud here. What do How do your prayers need to start being shaped for three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, eight-year-old, ten-year-old? How do you need to start praying for them? Tell, tell me some of the things we can pray for that's bigger than just I'm going to punish you if you don't tell me the truth. How how do we help go past that? I'm not saying we don't need to discipline if they lie, but how do we help go past that? What are our prayers? Let's start with prayer. How How do we start shaping prayers? What are some thoughts out loud? What are some thoughts about praying? Yeah, so it begins here. Like you need to pray for your kid's salvation. So like at one, they're not saved. Can I just say this out loud? They're not. And you're going to figure that out when they get two. Or three, and they start like doing all those things that two and three year olds do. Ours was four, wasn't no, three, it? It was three. So at three years old, I think we spanked Will every day for an entire year. Like, and I'm not kidding. Every single day, and I'd come home at times, and she would hand them to me and say, "You need to take him. Um,
2: Your turn to spank Your him. Your turn to spank him."
1: And there were days when, when I mean, we had the we had the little leather spanker deal, you know, from I don't remember where that thing was from. Kids got to and play. so we we you know it was like you know, spank your leg and spank the kid because we were just so mad that you just thought, I've got to be hurting him, you know, and so you would spank yourself and spank the kid, and ser- seriously, for an entire year, because he was just that kid that was like, that's the line? And he never, like, went way over the line, he just straddled it. It was that kid that just straddled the line all the time, and so part of you is like, eh, he's not all the way across the line. And there was another part of you that it just made you angry. And so for an entire year, he got spanked and disciplined in all sorts of ways it'll happen and so at some point you need to start praying for your kid which i would say now is a good time if you have one and just start praying that god would bring them to the place that they see their need for a savior because no change is going to happen in their heart until that happens and so pray that diligently don't just expect it to happen start praying for that and and just asking god god how can i be a participant in that how can i help them fill the weight of their sin how can i help them hear about the savior in a beautiful way that they hear about jesus in something beautiful and, and wonderful and not just as this mysterious guy out there who's you know we don't really know what he is or he's just kind of a figure in a book like how, how can we make jesus beautiful as we talk about him in our own lives um so pray that's the first thing about the salvation so let's say down the road your kid's become saved there's six eight ten and they know christ how do you start praying then for heart change in them what are let's just go on the lying thing what are some things you start thinking about in your prayers let's talk about that for a second let me ask it this way how do you pray for yourselves first how do you pray for each other there how 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 are we going to be praying for each other as we as we start wanting heart change in our kid any thoughts even if you don't know, just say stuff out loud. Ask questions <laughs> if you've got a question.
3: use that as a springboard, I think, to like show them that they're strong, like, I don't know the strong ones like that. <clears throat> and each kid is different, but I think that you, like pray for their salvation and pray that the God gives you eyes to see what they're strong with. Mm-hmm. Because that will continue the, like, most likely the rest of their life, that that's just a strong that they can have victory in, but that their tendency is always want to be prideful or mm-hmm. whatever. And so, um, for me to pray for eyes to see that and as they get older, age appropriately wise, like, bring them along and, then, and tell them what mine are. And, like, sometimes I'll expose mine. I'll say, do you see how this is my stronghold? And
1: this is how I just fell into that. Mm-hmm. I, I forgot who I was in the first. Um, so. That's good. That's good. I, a good just starting prayer point for you is praying that God would give you eyes to see um, places that your kids um, run to a lot in their sin. And, you'll, and God's going to give you that more than anybody else in the world. And so pray for that. Uh, it's a great thing. So, and secondly, I would say to that end is, is start praying for how you can then discipline in them with that, without it, without, with the motivation that you're trying to get across to your kids. This Here's, here's two different total motivations. One is um, this is who Christ is, and it's so wonderful and so glorious and powerful and beautiful. And he's a truth teller. And that's what we want to be, is we want to, we don't just want to be like Christ. We want to look like Christ because that is a powerfully, wonderful, beautiful, awesome thing God is. And one of his characteristics is truth. And so we want to look like that because it's the best thing. As opposed to saying, um, lying is really, really horrible. And those kids that live down the street lie all the time, and we don't want you to be like them. Now, I know that sounds funny, but we parent that way a lot, like I did a lot like it was it was shame kind of like like we would point out this kid that lived across the street, you know, kid X. And we go, what are all your friends think of kid X? He's a liar. Does anybody trust him? No. Now, I want to say this because we talked about this the other night. It's not bad for them to see the consequences of sin to go, hey, if you lie all the time, your friends aren't going to trust you. Mom and dad aren't going to trust you. We're not going to know how to if you're ever telling the truth. And so it's not bad to point that out. But if your motivation in their life is to try to get them to see that they don't want to be like the bad people but they want to be like the good people and that's why they're telling the truth then all you're doing is giving them a prideful motivation which is sin too and really it's a worse sin than pride to conquer the sin of lying does that make sense so you're saying hey be a prideful person to conquer the sin of lying which you realize how ridiculous that is and that we do that sometimes parents we're like hey I'm going to give you something really prideful to to make you feel good about not lying well okay I'm not like that guy and at the end of the day, we're just giving one sin for another sin, which is actually a worse sin. And so be careful that your motivation isn't just looking at people and going, gosh, don't be like that and don't be like that. Let's let our motivation be Christ and going, hey, this is this is really what moves us as we see how wonderful Christ is. And he is a truth teller. And so when we lie, it's... It's one of those things that this is what we're going to start praying for. Is that is that you would see how wonderful it looks like to look like this as opposed to look like this. Now, let me say two things there, real practically. Um, you have to point out the pragmatic cost of sin to your kids. That's part of the natural consequences. Like because you lied to us, this is gonna be the consequence, and so this, you know, that kind of stuff goes on. But I think you're always, and this is a prayer thing for you and me, and this is one of the things we're praying about, always praying that. My discipline and my conversations with them, just normal conversations, is not just always pointing out the pragmatics. Because at the end of the day, I don't want my kid to be a truth teller just because it's more beneficial than being a liar. Does that make sense? I mean, is he going to weigh everything like a cost, like a, you know, like a cost evaluative thing? Like, well, lying costs me this, telling the truth actually gives me this. Okay, this today I'm going to tell the truth. Because what happens when lying is more beneficial? I mean, if it's just a pragmatic thing, there are days, and you know, you're all tempted with it when the phone rings and it's so-and-so, and you're like, I don't want to talk to them. And you're thinking, this would cost me more to tell the truth right now than to lie to them. And so you go through that in your own brain, right? Every day as an adult, like, am I going to tell the truth? Am I going to lie? And if it's just based on pragmatics, gosh, we go all over the place, right? And so be careful that while we're pointing out the consequences then you don't just make it all about what the pragmatic cost is because at the end of the day, that doesn't need to be what motivates their hearts. Does that make sense? And so here's here's a couple of just real practical things. Um, when you start praying, I'll, I'll just say this and then we've got a couple of things to end up with. When you, when you pray for your kids on this end, you're always going to be You're always going to be tempted to pray for the things you want to stop, as opposed to the things you want to start. Let me encourage you to pray for the things you want to start in their lives as much as the things you want to stop. So, in other words, if they're lying, I'm not saying don't pray. Hey, God, please stop them from lying. But, but do this: pray even more that they would start telling the truth. Because, and then it's not just a matter of if all you're doing is rewarding them for telling the truth, and you're just training a dog. You know how you train a dog the right way is like when they do the right behavior. What do you do? Give them a treat. And so the dog eventually learns, like, hey, if I do this, I get food. Well, if your kids learn the same way, if when they tell the truth, you reward them, then what are they going to learn? Hey, when I tell the truth, I get pizza. This is awesome. So don't, it's not about rewarding them for being, doing the right things, near as much as it is just going, hey, you know what? This honors Christ and brings him great joy. And even when you tell a lie, though, you need to hear this, is what Dave said. He's still enamored with you. He still finds great joy in you. Why does telling the truth bring God great joy, though? And here's the command piece of this whole thing. Why does God give us commands in the Scripture? Talk to me. Why does God give us commands? Why are they there? Why does he tell us, please don't lie? One of the Ten Commandments, right? What What is that command there for? What do you think? Just talk out loud. There's a bunch of reasons. For our good, because when we lie, right, there's a pragmatic reason. Hey, people won't do business with us. They won't trust us. We break relationships. We hurt people. All sorts of things. There's that piece. What else? Do what? It's the good of others, right? So when we become a community of truth-tellers, what happens? I mean, this this place is a totally different place if you know that this is a safe place. And it's a place where when you tell the truth, it's... It's a place that's going to be healthy about that truth and what's going on. So it's for good of others. What else? what else? Why else does God reveal his law to us and say, hey, tell the truth? It affects our relationship. Yeah, it affects our relationship with him. Because at the end of the day, when we break God's law, what happens? I mean, there's, God, the scripture says that there's, there's something that fractures here, right? Now, without Christ, it's permanent fracture. With Christ, it's not that God abandons us or God stops talking to us. We just stop talking to him. Because in our sin, we do the Adam and Eve thing, right? We go hide and put on clothes and hide from each other and from other people. And so it affects our relationship with him. Here's the last thing I want to tell you is that God reveals his law to us so that we can see what he's like. Because in every command, look at it this way. When God says, don't lie, what's he saying about himself? He's truth. When God says, don't kill, what's he saying about himself? I'm life. When God says, you know, don't envy your neighbor's stuff. What's he saying about himself? Got to think a little harder on this one. What's he saying about himself?
3: I'm
1: Do what? I'm enough. I'm your provider. I'm enough. So in every command, when you're teaching your kids stuff, it's not just, don't just pray, gosh, stop lying. You're praying for him this. I want him to see this is who God is. He's truth. When I'm praying for my daughter that, that she would see that. You know, being, being envious of what other people has is not a good thing. I don't just want her envy to stop. I want her to see that God's a great provider, that he's enough. Not just physically, but spiritually. No, does, does that make sense? So as you're praying for your kids' hearts to be changed, I mean, part of what you're praying for is always going to be affecting by some sin, some command that they're breaking. But don't just look at it in the negative sense of, man, I want them to stop doing this. Look at it about, what is it saying about who God is that I really want them to start seeing? Because that's, that's how he's going to transform their heart. And the Christ who is the truth teller, when they become saved, lives in them. And the Christ who lives in them wants to tell the truth a whole lot more than you want them to tell the truth. And so what you're praying for when you come alongside them is, Christ, you live in them. your truth. And you're beautiful in your truth. But I want my kids to see how beautiful your truth is. I want them to see how powerful your truth is. I want them to see how wonderful your truth is. Because that's who you are. Not just, gosh, I hate that they lie. Does that make sense? And so my encouragement to you is you pray and we'll kind of kind of end with this and and maybe a couple things you can take home with you is on this heart piece for them is pray that God would give you eyes to see like what we've already said. But the second thing is just start praying. How can I, how can I pray for them so that they're actually seeing who God is in this and not just something I want them to stop doing. Does that make sense? And so, Prayer, prayer is the most practical thing you can do in disciplining your kids. Because it's not based on the, the urgency of the moment. It's not based on your anger most of the time. Um, it's, it really is something you can do together, separate from your kids. And, and it affects them how you just love them. How, and when I say discipline, I don't just mean when they're doing something wrong. I mean just getting them to brush their teeth. That's discipline, right? Like brushing your teeth every night is a discipline. Just like eating is. And so if you want your kids to learn how to brush your teeth, you've got to bring some discipline into their life, right? And so it's not all bad when we think of discipline. So in that whole realm of discipline, the biggest thing that's going to help you together is prayer. I will say this as a caveat. We were horrible at that, but it was the best thing that we ever did in the discipline of our kids. Um, Here's the last thought i just send with you as you go off tonight, and that's this. We all parent in different ways, but I will say this. God has an agenda for your kids that's not specific to their life calling. I'm not talking about that, but I'm just talking about his agenda for your kids is what we read in Romans eight. He wants to transform them into the image that he created them to be. And so here's the piece that maybe you walk out of here tonight, talking to each other about for the next week is how can we as a couple grow in the things of Christ? Where is he trying to transform my heart? And let's pray for each other about that. Because as you're transformed into the image of Christ, as you're in that ongoing process of being transformed, as opposed to just living stagnant with God, but as you're being transformed in the gospel, listen, the agenda that God has for your kids will will come through you because he wants that for your kids. And when it's transforming you, it's going to come out of you into your kids. The best thing that ever happened to me as a parent was the gospel changing my life. And that's a present tense thing. I don't mean it's done But me being transformed by the person and work of Christ was the best thing that ever happened to me as a parent, by far. And so I wish where I am now is where I was. what could have been 20 years ago, but I'm not. And so I get to parent now or where I am and what's going on in God. Some of you are way ahead of that. And my statement to you is this. If you want to parent in a way that's going to allow you to participate with God in the gospel to restore lost glory, the biggest thing you can do is allow God to transform you. And so that might be a question for the rest of the week is not how, but what is God, what is God chiseling on in your heart right now that you want to speak to your spouse and go, man, this is once this, this is, this is sin in my life. This is a struggle in my life where I need to trust Christ more in the finished work of Christ. And I need you to pray with me because God's hammering away and start praying for each other about that. And that's one of those things that I would encourage you life into this marriage thing to continue to Converse about as you go on, because that's that transformation in your own life will affect your parenting more than anything else, anything, any book you read, anything goes on. So, um, let me pray for us, and we'll.
2: And, and add one thing, um, I think in the early years of our marriage and having kids, we did this really well. I think once Will hit high school, life got really crazy, and we didn't do as good of a job in it. Parenting is awesome. Parenting is a season. And I was sharing with Rick, our season is ending. And um, and as all, you all know, you your devotion is to your spouse, not to your parents. You may love your parents. You may have a great relationship with your parents. You may not enjoy being around your parents that much, whatever. But your first line of loyalty is your spouse. And so you are the end goal. It is you know what we said as joining God to restore lost glory in our kids, but recognize that your kids' first loyalty is going to be their families and not you. And so this is a season. And so as you parent, love on your kids. It's a great season. But also remember that don't neglect this relationship because they're going to leave, and that's a good thing. Um, and then you're left with what you invested in and so.
1: yeah it's a good word it's a good word the, the, the highest goal is not that you have good kids someday it's not um, the highest goal isn't that you're a great parent someday the, high, the highest goal is that you make in your family and in your life God the greatest thing that your kids see that, that who God is and who Christ is and God is the greatest thing. And that's going to come with a lot of you pointing to them that you you saw other things as greater than God. That's just confession, right? Like I ran after this job because I thought it was going to be greater and the better thing than even God himself. Or I ran after after this ministry opportunity because I thought this was going to be the thing that made my heart. Or I ran. And that's good things to confess to your kids and to your spouse and each other. At the end of the day, your your goal has to be is is am I pointing my kids to God as the greatest thing? Because if you are, you're going to be participating with God in that lost glory that we're talking about. And at the end of the day, then you're going to have been investing in each other, like she just talked about. Because this is a season man, and we were we were just laughing about that earlier, and they were giggling about yeah, we're starting a family, and they were kidding. But <laughs> but you you here's the good news is is that all of you guys need older parents in your life that aren't your parents. And so people that are a step ahead of you, man, don't be the arrogant turd that doesn't ask, will you pray for me? Will you help me? Will you just listen to me for a second? Cause I want to kill both my kids and don't believe that you got it all figured out. Um, man, God's put that in the body of Christ for a reason. And then there's going to be a day when you're that one step ahead of the next person when you have three toddlers and they get their first one, and they're pulling their hair out, and you look at them and like, hey, you're going to live. It'll be all right. And so you're going to get to do that for each other all, all along the way. At the end of the day, you need that person who's ahead of you saying, hey, this is a season, and it's going to end. And it's going to end. And as crazy as it sounds when you're holding them like this at 18, they're gone, 20, they're gone, 22. Hopefully they're gone, right? It's not 35 and they're playing video games in your basement. Um, And if that's happening in your life, sorry, I didn't mean to make fun of you, but that's not what we desire, right? And so we hope, and yet when they leave, what happens to both of us is what happens, you're like, I'm not ready for them to leave. And you're all freaked out, like, wow, how'd this happen? Season, it's a season, it's a fun season, um, but it's a season. So we get to be stewards, right? You don't own your kids. You're a steward for a real short amount of time. And you're a steward for something that God's doing in their life. And so, I, I, if anything you take away from this, man, maybe the end goal for you can be just a little bit different. And then it'll start shaping how you pray. And start shaping how how you see things um, away from the urgency of the moment. Remind each other of that. Remind each other of that every week. Remember why we're doing this. Um, so let me pray. Father, thank you for the gift of children, you tell us that, that they are a blessing, and that word literally means that they're a gift that point us to your greatness. They're a gift that point us to the person of Christ as the greatest and ultimate uh, blessing of all. And so, God, we thank you that children do that to us because we're, they remind us of how desperately sinful we are and how needful of a Savior we are and a Redeemer and a Restorer. And so, God, um, may you remind us in the blessing of our children that we need you. And that you're enough. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.